0: Now, I'm telling you, we're living in a culture today where I am seeing people want justice. I want justice. I want justice. I want justice. And I really want to ask you the question, do you really want justice today? Do you really want justice? Because if that's really what you want, God will give justice. But I'm going to tell you today, I don't want justice. I want grace. Because if I got justice, I would get what I deserve. I would get death. Well, I'd like for you to turn in your Bible to John, the 8th uh, the chapter, the 8th chapter of John, and uh, I'm going to be going from there, or looking at this passage of Scripture, verses 1 through 11, uh, this morning. And last week, we talked about express thanksgiving. And we used a passage of Scripture uh, that Paul, uh, one of them, it was several, but one of them that Paul wrote last week. He said, be joyful always. Be joyful always. <laughs> be joyful always always. Well, I think I just need to pause there. Be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, Sometimes we look at that and, you know, well, well, I thank God for everything. Well, you don't have to thank God for everything. I don't thank him when I get sick. I thank him when he heals me. (laughs) You know, I don't thank him when I'm struggling with money. I thank him that he provides, you know, for the need or whatever it may be in my life. So in all things, give thanks. And it's one of those things that you have to learn in life is to give thanks in all things. And last week we talked about a, a, a express gratitude. And we took it from an encounter with Jesus Christ and the ten lepers. And how that only one, only one returned to, get, to express his thanks to Jesus. And we made the mention, or I made mention, that unexpressed thanksgiving. Unexpressed thanksgiving leaves people often feeling taken for granted. That when you don't express it, even though you may be thankful and though you may have a heart of gratitude and you may have an emotion of gratitude, when you don't express it, they get that perception they're being taken for granted. And one may feel thankful... But unexpressed thankfulness is experienced as ingratitude to the other person in the relationship. It is the expression of thanksgiving that leaves one feeling appreciated and accepted and not just the emotion of gratitude because I've learned something. I can't always see your emotions, but I can hear your expressions I can hear your conversations. I can hear when you say, thank you. I appreciate that. You did a great job or whatever it is that you did. You hear those things and you feel, oh, well, you know, I did something. I made this statement a few weeks ago. Well, I guess I made it last week. A few weeks ago, we were in Brunswick, and of course, we go to Brunswick every Sunday. But we was in Brunswick a couple of weeks ago, and... And, 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 and they were doing something for us. And one of the, the, deacons, the deacon had said something about, uh, the Brunswick church and he made this statement. Now, it, it, I love the deacon to death. I, I do. I love the deacon to death, but you, you gotta know him. You know, you just got to know him and know how to take him. And, and, and you know, you, you can read him wrong. You, you know, you can, it's one of those guys that, you know, he's a great guy, and I love him to death. And, and, and you know, you, sometimes you just don't know how to take him because he doesn't, doesn't communicate, doesn't talk, doesn't, you know, anyway. And he made a statement during the service, that I thought, wow, wow. I can't believe he said that. And and I made this statement. I said, what he said made me feel so good because I had no idea he felt that way. I had no idea he felt that way. And because of the way he felt, he never expressed it. But all of a sudden, during that day, he expressed it. And his words just make, I mean, it just came over me. I thought, man, that meant so much to me. Because I didn't know his emotion or his feeling of gratitude, but when he expressed it, it changed me. And I think it's really important that we express our gratitude to one another and to God. Well, this morning, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture. And if I were to ask you for one, for one of many things that you are grateful for, what would it be? What would it be? You know, sometimes we'll say, well, I'm thankful for salvation. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for the opportunity or opportunities that God has given me. I'm thankful because I've experienced love. Or I'm thankful, and we go on and on and on uh, for all the things that we have or whatever. But if you had one, you just had one thing that you were grateful for, what would it be today? What would it be? You know, I don't want you to say it. I just want you to think about it. What would it be today? I want us to look at a lady. A lady. I want us to look at a lady in the Bible who had a desperate need. She was in desperate need, and the one thing that she needed more than anything else in the world was grace. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I am thankful for God's compassionate grace. And I think that I hope by the end of this message you'll understand why I say that. You see, if we were honest, many people wish that the riffraff would just go away or that they would be punished And while some people may be, uh, while some are tough on people who do things that trouble them and want God's justice to be poured out, they themselves desire God's grace. Now, I'm telling you, we're living in a culture today where I am seeing people want want justice. I want justice. I want justice. I want justice. And I really want to ask you the question, do you really want justice today? Do you really want justice? Because if that's really what you want, God will give justice. But I'm going to tell you today, I don't want justice. I want grace. Because if I got justice I would get what I deserve. I would get death. I don't want justice today. And you say, well, you don't want justice for people. That's not what I said, justice for people. I'm talking about for yourself. Do you really want justice or do you want grace? Grace. You see, in John the, 11th, the 8th chapter, verses 1 through 11, we have a powerful story about God's compassionate grace, which clearly begins to teach us from the perspective of God's perfect holiness that you and I are nothing but riffraff. We are all sinners that have fallen short of the glory of God, and we desperately need not justice but grace and mercy. So I want us to read the story. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, means early in the morning, at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Now notice the the setting. He sat down to teach them. And the purpose of him sitting down, you see, a sitting down position for a rabbi or a teacher was one that, that, that showed his authority. When you would sit down to teach, you know, us preachers, we don't sit down to preach. Maybe we should. <laughs> Maybe we should do that. We, we usually don't sit down to, to, to preach, but he sat down in the temple courts to teach them and the teachers of the law and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery they made her stand before their group and said to Jesus teacher this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women Just pause there for a moment. The law says to stone such women. First of all, that's not what the law said. It was amazing. They singled out one gender of people, they they pulled the woman aside. Now, if a woman is going to commit adultery, you can't commit adultery by yourself. I don't think. just saying so my question is where is the other person where's the man because in the old testament and leviticus 20 and 10 it states that both the man and the woman were to be stoned in fact it says this if a man commits adultery with another man's wife with the wife of his neighbor both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death so where is the man We're going to get to the story. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, Jesus is sitting. Now, I want you to get a picture. Jesus is sitting in the temple court. He is beginning to teach and as he's sitting down teaching with authority, the people that are gathered around him, the Pharisees come crashing through the door, come crashing through the entrance of the temple and they come to Jesus and they bring this woman caught in the act of adultery, or they said she was. They caught her in the act of adultery, brought her to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus. The law of Moses says that all that such women, such women should be stoned. We want to know what you say. And of course, the scripture makes it clear. They did this to trap him. Now, can you imagine for just a moment how the woman felt? How would you feel if you were paraded here in this church or any church or any court or any place in public and people are gathered around and all of a sudden you're paraded down to the very front and said, hey, this woman was taken or this man was taken in the very act of adultery and the law of Moses has stoned him, what do you say? I mean, how would you feel when all of your guilt, when all of your shame is just kind of brought before everyone? I'm sure this woman was absolutely humiliated, humiliated, shamed, embarrassed. Can you imagine how she felt? And this is actually quite a clever trap the Pharisees made. Because you see, the law of Moses specifies death by stoning for the adulterer and the adulteress they were to stone her according to the law and the man but yet the roman law forbids the roman law forbids the jews from carrying out any executions so you get the contrast here the law said the law of moses said stone her stone them the roman law says you cannot execute anyone it has to be the Romans that do the execution and so you have here if just if if Jesus doesn't condemn the woman he breaks the Jewish law if he does condemn her he breaks the Roman law I mean notice the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, they're wanting to commit murder, and they're wanting to murder Jesus. They justify their murder. They justify themselves. They justify what they're doing. They're wanting to commit the act of murder, and they're justifying their act by bringing a woman who has been taken in the act of adultery. Notice what happened next. I mean, can you feel the tension? Jesus has got to make a decision. Jesus has got to say something. I mean, if he, if he, if he, if he, if he says yes, carry out the law, then he, he's breaking the Roman law. If he says no, if he doesn't condemn her, then he's breaking the Jewish law. And the Pharisees are just warning. In fact, notice what he says. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be first to throw a stone at her. I mean, can you imagine what Jesus is thinking? Can you imagine what the Pharisees are thinking? Can you imagine what all the the ones that are gathered around thinking? And notice, he just bends down and writes in the dirt. And we don't know what he wrote. We don't know what he said. Scholars don't know. No one knows what he wrote in the dirt. But this is the only time we find where Jesus is writing something down. But he begins to write in the ground, and and we don't know. It's a possibility he could have been began to write the Ten Commandments. Or perhaps he began to write their names. Or perhaps he began to write some of their sins, some of their flaws, some of the things that they had done. We don't have a clue what he began to write, but all of a sudden he's writing in the ground, and the Bible says, and they kept questioning him. And The word questioning there means they, they were like interrogating him interrogating him. He was at an interrogation and they were interrogating him and we want to know, we want to know, what do you say? What do you say, Jesus? What do you say? I mean, what do you say? And Jesus is just quietly writing in the sand. And then he picks himself up and he faces them and he does this with such authority, he says, if you, in fact, well, note I want to say this right, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. You that are sinless, you that are sinless, you cast the first stone. Because you see, in order for this to take place, in order for her to be stoned, the one that found her guilty, the one that found her in the very act of adultery, he, the, 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 they would literally take the woman, throw her in a pit, And they would gather around that pit, and the person, the one that caught her in the act of adultery, would spit on the victim. They would spit on her, and after they would spit, they would take up a stone, and they would be the first one to throw the stone. And Jesus looks at them and says, hey, you that are sinless, you cast the first stone. And then the Bible says he stooped down and he began to ride in the sand again. Began to write on the ground. Again, we don't know what he wrote. I just got a feeling he might have wrote their names with a dash with something they had done in their lives. Some sin they had committed or whatever. I, 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 don't, I don't have a clue what they wrote, but he wrote. And the Bible says that at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And he said, neither, Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. You see, here Jesus does two things. Jesus upholds the standards of God's perfect holiness and made it clear that there was only one person present that could cast a stone. There was only one that had the authority and the right to judge the woman. There was only one that was sinless and that was him. There was no one else there that was sinless. There was no one there else there that had no flaw in their life, no fault, no sin. He was the only one that was sinless. And he said, you that are without sin, you that are sinless, you cast the first stone. And so Jesus upholds the holiness of God. And I'm sure the Pharisees were stunned. They probably thought that Jesus was going to let the woman go. I mean, really, are you going to let her go? Are you going to uphold the the law of God and, and, and you're not going to uphold the law of God? You're going to let her go? But instead, he upholds the law of God by saying, you that are sinless, you, you cast a stone. You throw a stone. Everybody else will join in, but you throw a stone. I mean, it was a command. This was not a question. This was a command. You that are sinless, you cast the first stone. During this time of awkwardness, Jesus stoops down and begins to ride in the sand. And something about the Holy Spirit and conviction The Bible says that one by one, starting with the eldest, they began to walk away. Now, I don't know why the oldest one walked away first, all the way to the youngest. Maybe he was wiser. Maybe he had committed more sin than the younger ones. Whatever the reason, conviction began to get a hold of their hearts. And they begin to realize that they were not sinless. They begin to realize they were not without fault. They begin to realize that instead of justice, they really wanted God's mercy and God's grace in their own personal lives. And can you imagine the eerie feeling of the silencedness? No one's saying a word. They just kind of drift back. They walk away. Finally, Jesus looks up at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? Is there not anyone that has condemned you? And she says, no, sir, not one. And the amazing thing about this is that the woman could have walked away. The woman had the opportunity that when all of her accusers walked away, she could have walked away, but she chose not to. She chose not to walk away. She chose to stay there with Jesus. And Jesus looks up and probably rises up and says, where are your accusers? She says, I have none. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go. Sin no more. Or he says it like this. Go now and leave your life of sin. The only one qualified to pass judgment. And yet the woman still hangs around when she could have left with the others. I want you to notice this about Jesus. Jesus, first of all, treated her with dignity. He treated her with value. He treated her as a person of worth. And I want you to know this morning, no matter what your past has been, no matter what you've done, no matter how you have lived your life, no matter how how many flaws you have, no matter how many sins you've committed, God looks at you with dignity. He looks at you and sees you as valuable and worth. Sees you as a nugget of gold so to speak and he treats her as dignity and you say well how did he treat her with dignity because all of a sudden when he stooped down in sand and he began to write all of the eyes came off of her and began to focus on him he took the focus off her and brought the focus upon him the one that was sinless, the one that had the authority to pass judgment, the one that could have said, you know, throw the stone. He takes all the focus off of her, and now they're all on him. Hmm. Jesus Christ is not about humiliating you and I in public. He's not about, you know, shaming us in public. He is about taking on himself our humility, our, I should say our shamefulness. And Jesus stoops in the ground and treats her with dignity by taking the focus off of her and what she's done upon himself. He treated her with dignity. Second of all, he treated her with compassion. Compassion. The first compassionate act that Jesus did was to write on the ground. The scribes and the Pharisees loudly proclaimed her sins. But Jesus stooped in the ground and suddenly, as I said, the attention was now on him. He treated her with compassion. Third of all, he treated her with frankness. Now, some of you, some of us may think that Jesus was kind of easy on sin. Jesus is just too easy on him. I mean, Jesus just lets him get away with everything. Jesus lets him get away with murder. They got away with robbery. They got away with whatever. Jesus is just too easy on him. But notice that Jesus confronted this woman with the root of the problem when he said, Go now. And leave your life of sin. She had already been confronted. She was convicted of her sin. And now Jesus is talking straight to her. And he says, leave your life of sin. Now, I want you to know something. God is very frank with us. It is not okay to practice sin. Can I say that again? It is not okay to live a life of sin. It is not okay. God doesn't say, go now and keep doing what you're doing. Go now and keep doing as you are doing. No, he tells the lady, go now and leave your life of sin. He doesn't humiliate her. He doesn't shame her. He shows compassion. He shows mercy. He shows grace. And he says, listen, I'm going to be frank with you. I'm going to be frank. You have been living a life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. In fact, we find in Romans, the sixth chapter, verses one and two, he says, what shall we say then? Paul is writing, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound or that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? No, no, no. It is not okay to keep practicing sin. It's not. We need to get this. Jesus is very frank with her. She knows what she has done is wrong. She's been confronted. She has felt the conviction. She's been humiliated. She feels ashamed. And Jesus says, listen, listen, I want you to know. I don't condemn you, but don't go back into that lifestyle and that practice. I think it's so important here that, that we're living in a culture that. It's okay to sin, that you have to sin a little bit every day. Listen, you do not have to sin a little bit every day. I'm not saying you won't sin. I'm not saying I won't sin. I'm not just, I'm just standing up here and saying, hey, I'm perfect, I got it all right, you know, I do everything perfect. No, I know that I'm flaws. I, I sin, I miss the more, but I do not want to practice sin. I do not want to sin. I do not want to do anything that would hurt my relationship between me and my heavenly Father. I don't want to. Sometimes I miss it, but I don't want to sin. Why? Because I'm dead to sin. When Jesus came into my heart, I died to sin. When he died, I died with him. When he was buried, my old man was buried with him. And when he was resurrected, I was resurrected with him into new life. I'm telling you, I don't want to sin. Doesn't mean I don't miss the mark. Doesn't mean I don't sin, but I don't want to practice sin. And so Jesus says to the woman, now go and leave your lifestyle of sin. It's not okay to practice that lifestyle anymore, whatever it is. You know, I could get here and we could say, well, what what is sin? What is sin? What is sin? I mean, is this sin? Is that sin? Listen, anything anything that violates the law of God is sin. We didn't know what sin was until the law came. And when the law came, we discovered what sin was. And we discovered that we were sinners and that we needed a Savior. So whatever violates the law of God is sin. Don't do it. Don't practice it. Don't live that lifestyle. And so Jesus treated her with compassion, but with frankness. And he treated her with grace. The woman was condemned by the Pharisees. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ he looked at her and said neither do I condemn you. I love the truth of Romans 8 and 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And this woman needed hope. So Jesus treats her with hope. The phrase go now literally means from now on or from the now. Jesus was forward-looking, not past-focused. He's ready to give her a new life, a new identity, and the power to overcome her sin. You see, Jesus is not only interested in what we've done, but in what we can become. He, leaves us, he loves us too much to leave us the way we were. You see, I'm so glad that being a Christian is really a series of new beginnings. It really is. And I'm telling you, I'm discovering that I'm having just about a new beginning. <laughs> Sounds terrible. But I'm having a new beginning every day. Because somewhere along the day, I have to admit, I don't want to sin. I don't practice sin. But usually somewhere along the day, I miss the mark. Now, I'm not talking about going out and committing immorality. I'm not going out and committing murder. I'm not talking about going out and committing adultery or those things like that, the, the actual act of it. But there are days that I say something, I, and it's not so much what I said, but it's the way I said it. You know, I I tell my wife sometimes, that look, it's not what you said, it's what you said with your facial expression. Now, you may not have that problem, but sometimes I I say things with my look, and I have to say, whoops, I shouldn't have looked like I did, because what I said with my mouth is not what came out of my facial expression. Or my tone, thank you, my tone. I had an encounter this week, I think it was this week, it might have been last week, with an elderly man. The guy's 70, about 74 years old. He's, he's, he really is a nice man. But he's one of those men that just literally got on my nerves. Now, I know you don't meet people like that, but he just got on my last nerve. And I, I was doing a job for him, and, and I shared this, and, and the man just, he pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And finally, one day, I said, why are you pushing me? I'm not pushing you. I said, yes, you are. <laughs> I, said, yeah, I mean, that's what I, I said, yes, you are. No, I'm not. I said, yes, you are. I said, I've never had anybody push me like you are. And I ain't going to say nothing else to you. I didn't say nothing. I was thinking, thank you. But every day I'd get a call. Are you going to be here? Are you going to get finished? I'm thinking, I'm so far ahead of the game here. And, you know, I, I, I really am. I'm thinking, I'm so far ahead of everyone else. And you're worried about me. Why? Are, and, I, and, and finally he confronted me one day. And I said, why don't you talk to the plumber? I said, the plumber, he doesn't have anything set. There's nothing hooked up. There's no water heater. There's no fixtures. There's no flooring. I mean, you've got no foil. In fact, the walls are not even painted, and you want me to put all the devices on. I mean, mean, he is pushing me, and all the other stuff that needs to be done before I do my stuff is not even done. I said, why don't you call the plumber? Your air conditioning guy is not finished. You know. You just know everything. (laughs) You know. And the other day he was in his truck and he was about to have a nervous breakdown. I saw it in his eyes. I saw it in his expression. He was literally fixing to have a... I could see it on him and I could feel it. He was literally fixing to have a nervous breakdown. And he called and he says, Randy, I am so sorry that I have pushed you. I said, it's okay. He said, you don't understand. He said... I signed a contract, and I've got to be out of my house by next week. And this house is nowhere near finished, and he has nowhere to go. And I saw a man that was absolutely about to have a nervous breakdown. And I looked at him, and I said, listen, I've got this. I said, I don't want you to stress over this. I don't want you to worry over this. I don't want you to even think about this. I said, I've got this. Now, I don't have the plumbing and all that stuff, but anyway. I've got the electrical. I said, I've got this. Don't worry about it. And my expression and the tone of my voice brought such comfort to him that at that very moment, it was like, His expression completely changed, and he felt like it's going to be okay. You see, that's what Jesus did for this woman. He treated her with hope, and I began to treat him a little different. Even though I was frustrated and aggravated with him, I began to give him hope. Hey, it's going to be okay. We're going to get this done. Don't you worry about it. I've got this. I've got it. And I gave him that hope. And because I gave him that hope, he began to have a new outlook on life. And Jesus is not so much interested in what you and I've done as he's interested in what you and I can become, our new identity. I'm so glad that Christianity, that a relationship with Jesus Christ is really a series of A new beginnings. And so I want to ask you this question Go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus confronted her, or the Pharisees confronted her. Conviction was brought, she was shamed, humiliated. But grace always leads to repentance, God's kindness leads us to repentance. And God began to comfort her. Have you ever wondered why Jesus let the woman go? I mean, after all, there was one present who was qualified by his own sinfulness to cast the first stone, Jesus himself. If Jesus cared so much about God's law and God's holiness, why didn't he insist that payment be made for the woman's transgressions. Why? He didn't condemn her because he came to be condemned for her. You got to get that. He didn't condemn her because he came to be condemned for her. He wasn't sweeping her sin under the carpet. He was just anticipating the shedding of his blood On the cross for her. You see, Jesus' solution for sin, not ignoring or minimizing them, but taking them upon himself. Jesus' forgiveness of the adulterer was free, but it was not cheap. In reality, the woman was blessed that day. But it cost Jesus everything. It cost Jesus his life. It cost Jesus shedding his precious blood on the cross so she would not be condemned but be forgiven. And Jesus wasn't sweeping her sin under the carpet. He was condemning himself for her sins to free her. Now, I'm going to ask you the question again. Do you really want justice? Or do you want grace? Today I am thankful for God's amazing grace. Compassionate grace. Because I'm telling you what I deserve. I deserve death. And I'm not just talking about a physical death. I'm talking about separation from God. I deserve to be in hell. I deserve to be in the lake of fire. I deserve, my sin deserves spiritual separation from God. That's what I deserve. Is that what I want? No. I want God's everlasting, eternal life. And so today I want to say I am thankful for God's compassionate grace that He looked beyond all of my flaws and all of my sins and said, Randy, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. But I'm going to take all your sins upon myself and pay the price for them so that I can impute, so that I can give to you my righteousness. And the amazing thing is today is God sees me as righteous. God sees me as righteous. Did you know God sees you as righteous? If you have accepted Jesus Christ, the free gift of eternal life, the free gift of salvation, God sees you as righteous, not because of your acts, not because of your service, not because of your perfectness, not because of your holiness. God sees you as righteous because he sees the blood of Jesus was paid and applied to your life for your sin. And so today, God sees me righteous. Not because I am righteous, but because Jesus was sinless and imputed to me His righteousness. So again, I am thankful today for the gracious, compassionate, grace of Jesus Christ. Would you stand? In reality, the woman was the blessed one that day. Her partner may have well escaped. The Pharisees slipped away, left in a hurry when the heat was turned up but she didn't walk away. And when Jesus was stooped down, riding the dirt, she could have slipped away. But something kept her there. And it was God's grace. And I'm going to tell you today, I'm so thankful for God's amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And today I want to say thank you, Father, for your amazing grace that you have extended to all of us through your Son, Jesus Christ. And even though there are times that my flesh wants justice, I pray that I will... Not be a person that wants justice. But a person that will give grace. Extend grace. That when I see people. That don't measure up. That when I see people that. You can do better than that. That when I see people that don't live up to the standard. That instead of wanting justice. God would you just punish them that I will give the same kind of grace that God gave to me because I'm telling you I don't want justice today you know there's this trial going on in Brunswick and there's a lot of stuff about that trial going on I know that if you live in Brunswick you're kind of living on the edge because you don't know what to expect and people are shouting, shouting justice, justice, justice do I think justice needs to be done? Yes, justice needs to take place but that's in the hands of the courts, it's not in my hands and ultimately it's in the hand of God it's not in my hands. Do I think justice needs to take place? Yes, absolutely so But if we're not careful, we'll scream justice so loud that we'll forget about grace and mercy. How would I feel? How would I feel? And I thought about it. What if that were my son? What if that were my daughter? What if that were the one that, you know, whether it was on trial or just the opposite, the one that was killed? How would I feel? And I know that my flesh sometimes would scream justice. But I don't want to be controlled by my flesh. I want to be controlled by the gracious gift of the Holy Spirit that says, God, justice is in your hands, it's in the court's hands. And what I need to scream loudly is, God, I want your grace. And I want your mercy in my own personal life. And I want to extend it to others just as you extended it to me. However that may happen, I want to extend it. Father, would you speak to our hearts today? God, would you help us to pause for just a moment and examine our own personal lives? God, today I want this message to be heavy on our hearts, but I want it to be about the gracious compassionate grace of you. That God even though we deserve death and even though we deserve God justice God that you didn't give us what we deserve but that you gave us compassionate grace. And that God that we would extend that same kind of compassionate grace to others that you've extended to us. And Lord I know that can only happen as you work in my life. I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the power to do that within my flesh. But God, you have the power to extend gracious, uh, compassionate grace to me. God, would you give me the power to extend compassionate grace to others as well? Whoever, whatever, whoever may have done. God, I pray today if there's one that doesn't know you today as their Lord and Savior. That today, that today they will be confronted with their sin. Not to condemn them, Lord. Not to judge them, Lord. But God, that they'll be confronted in such a way that, God, your kindness, your kindness, your compassionate grace will lead them to repentance. Where they will say, God, I am sorry. I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my wrongdoing. I'm sorry for my flaws. Forgive me. And that they will accept you, your gift, your freely given gift that was so expensive that it cost you your life. That they would receive that gift today in their personal lives. And God, that the rest of us that have accepted that gift, that will be more aware, that will be acutely aware of the compassionate grace that you've extended and God when we begin to think about that God that we will be so grateful that we'll express it thank you thank you thank you for giving me grace and mercy instead of justice thank you God I thank you today God would you speak God would you forgive me for my sin? Would you forgive me for my flaws? Would you forgive me for my shortcomings? Because I know that I failed. Forgive me. Please don't give me justice. Give me mercy. Give me grace. And give it all. Give it to us all. God, we ask it in your name. Believing in what you did on the cross was all it took. Jesus name we pray can we sing this song with Derek I want to give you an invitation God loves you God cares about you God does not want you to perish but wants to give you everlasting life life that never ends joy that is full peace that it surpasses all understanding. That's the life Jesus wants to give you today. Would you lead us? An amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rich like me. I once was lost, but now Thanks for listening to the St. Mary's Church Podcast. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today or have more questions about following Jesus, we have pastors who want to talk with you. Connect with us at stmaryschurch.net or through social media on Facebook or Instagram. We can't wait to hear what Jesus is doing in you.